Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna. With Benelin on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, Professor John Nolan began a study 10 years ago, which has led to a breakthrough in the treatment of dementia. He is such an engaging speaker with such a passion for what he does. We'll be talking brain health, nutrition, and how to improve the quality of our years. And Nicola Connolly had a successful corporate career but felt her life was out of balance. She quit and headed travelling unsure of what her next move was. Her adventures took her to parts of the world where nature and ritual is revered and having worked with local communities in the Ecuadorian Amazon, the Galapagos Islands and the Andes Mountains of Peru to help them to build sustainable business models for their natural resources, she decided to bring her expertise home to Ireland and she'll join me in studio to tell her fascinating story of self-discovery all poured into her brand Nunea. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I'm good. I have been playing catch up this week with my health coach course, which has felt really good. Really interesting topics, really lights me up when I'm doing it. There's lots of medical doctors and scientists who've gone rogue as such and talk about the mind-body connections, emotion, traumas and its link to our health and the research that's starting to emerge more and more in this area. There's also a load of health transformation stories and while I had quite a backlog to catch up on so that was eking into the enjoyment a little bit it's great to be back at it and it just keeps rubber stamping for me my pull towards a holistic view of health exploring all facets from lifestyle to environment and indeed our past. Anyway, let's talk about our future. There is another Alive and Kicking hike taking place next week. It is fully subscribed. I am sorry, but I am planning lots more amazing events next year. And this time I am heading further afield. But next Saturday, I am heading up a hill to catch the sunrise. Put the child of Prague out for us, will you, that we catch a good one. I'm going to be joined by Elaine Nick Raymond of Shulin and Cara Byrne of Hike Psych. And both ladies are on the phone now. Hello, you're very welcome. Good morning, Hi, Claire. Good morning. Elaine, can I start with you? Tell us a little bit about Shulin, what it's about and, and why you set it up. Okay, good morning. Um, so Shulin started as a complete uh, notion. I guess I love people and I love nature. And uh, Shulin brings uh, the two of my, my loves together. So originally from the foothills of the Blackstairs, a little village called Clunigall, um, I fell in love with the Blackstairs again after moving home from Dublin, the local hills and the local trails. And I realised like, the gems we have on our doorstep. So at the start of the pandemic, I realised that a lot of people who had started walking the local trails around our tillage farm um, didn't know that the bigger trails or the trails of the black stairs or the ones a bit farther afield. So as, as I said, I took a notion and just organised a hike um, on Instagram. Uh, seven people turned up, Claire, and we shared cake. We had a great laugh. We realised that some of us were actually related. And it was just a brilliant day. And I never thought I'd go further, uh, further than that. And then I decided I'd organise another hike. And, uh, and now, Claire, it's, it's absolutely after taking off. Um, I turn up to events and I realise that people have driven from Donegal or from Cork, from all over the country. Um, and just the power of nature, the power of getting it together, the power of social connectedness and the power of community is just phenomenal. Um, so basically, it's about taking people out in nature and not just walks, but we've done bougie beach days, yoga, salsa night, movement as medicine and just getting people out together. 
You've had singles events as well. Have you had any any weddings or any any couples, any successes? Oh, absolutely. We have. We had successes in couples. Um, we have the stats and we're so proud of them, myself and, and Muddy Souls. Um, he's a, a mental health advocate for uh, particularly men in the West of Ireland and he's doing great work over there as well. So, yeah, we had a, our first singles event in Craig in, uh, in at the start of the summer and it was a powerful success. So, yeah, we've. I think I'm going to have to buy a, a wedding dress, a Shulin wedding dress soon that I can wear as a guest because... Uh, We've set up a lot of couples this year, and uh, but it's more than that. Like women leave and they make connections. Um, we have another singles event in Loch Owler on the seventeenth of December, and uh, yeah, it's 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 just it's after being fantastic. Claire. Yeah, I mean, it is so nice to come together and have that sort of shared experience, whether you're into the outdoors or not. It's just something different away from the, the pub and the restaurant. And, and, you know, that's that's fine. That has its place. But it's just a, a different way of, of connecting with people and kind of ticking a few boxes all at once. And you've gone outside of Ireland as well. Yeah, but we realise the after can be a disaster, you know, and... Uh, People can meet in a safe space, people who are interested in nature. There's no pressure. Um, they can come kind of nervous enough and then that ner- the nerve dissipates and they just have a ball. Um, we recently um, travelled to the High Atlas Mountains of Morocco and with a venture, Dolly, um, a company run by Ronan Mullins in Lara, a phenomenal, phenomenal experience because not so touristy, very rural and isolated, but just beautiful scenery. And I definitely recommend it to anyone who's looking to take off an international mountain in the future. Wow. So something that started as a bit of a, a joy that you wanted to, to, to share with a, with a few has become something huge. It's great. It's, 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 it's impressive and, and it's going from strength to strength. And uh, yeah, just excited for what's to come. Myself and Cara are planning even a, a something together which will be uh, announced in the early new year. But um, yeah, like it just the hiking community itself, Claire, also has been so supportive uh, what we've tapped into, just empowerment, uh, women empowering women and uh, people coming and just being their authentic selves and sharing cake and stories and experiences. Um, there's definitely, I think especially after the pandemic, um, we need it more than ever. Yeah, agreed, which is why I've gathered the two of you together. I can't wait now for for next Saturday. Let me bring in Cara Byrne then of Hike Site. Cara, you and I met at an event over the summer and I was absolutely fascinated by your work. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Thanks, Claire. Um, yeah, so Cara Burns, my name. I set up Ireland's only hiking psychotherapy practice in uh, two years ago now in 2020 in the middle of the in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and it's uh, but basically I'm, I'm still the only therapist there, but I'm hoping to uh, to add a few people in uh, in the new year. And so I I do traditional um, humanistic psychotherapy but I do it out on the trails in the Dublin mountains um, and it has just been an amazing kind of addition to to all the normal benefits of therapy um, it has really really opened my eyes to some some gaps that were kind of in the therapy market for people um, I have a lot of I've quite a lot of male clients um, who wouldn't go to therapy in a in a traditional setting who wouldn't fit eye to eye in that way um, and I've a lot of clients who are neurodiverse and it works better for them for that reason too uh, and then there's just people who just you know want to want to get a walk in and get their therapy done and you know and enjoy the extra benefits that the outdoors provide so 
it's been um yeah it's been a really really fun really interesting way of of working and uh i uh, i can't imagine ever not not practicing in this way now having done it for uh, for a couple of years it's uh, it's been great and what gave you the idea in the first place well i'd gotten into hiking um probably 5 years ago um when <laughs> when uh, accidentally when a friend of mine invited me on a on a girls weekend away and um to Scotland and said we might go for a bit of a walk and I was like great girls weekend I assumed the walking was like around Glasgow shopping but I only discovered uh, a month before we were due to fly out that the walk was actually to hike Ben Nevis um which is the highest point in in the what <laughs> formerly known as the British Isles uh, England Ireland Scotland and Wales and so yeah in a panic uh, <laughs> decided that I, I should I should probably start doing a little bit of hiking um, and I just I fell in love with it. I, I fell in love with the kind of how quickly people open up, I suppose, is what struck me the most um, as a therapist, how quickly people let their guards down and that they feel people feel safe, even though it's like it's outdoors and it's kind of exposed much less so than, a you know, sitting in a kind of contained room people just feel more at ease in that natural environment and actually since then i've you know done a lot of research on uh the benefits of the outdoors and all that on your mental health and and that's all supported like there's there's reasons for all of that so uh yeah so i i the hiking thing had been in my head for a while and then covid because i've been doing it regularly and then covid struck and all of the clients i had been seeing were suddenly put online and loads of them were like, please, is there any chance we could see you in person? And, you know, and I was thinking like, well, what can we do? And throughout all the lockdowns, you'd always been allowed to have one person outdoors for an hour for exercise. So I thought, oh, I could probably try it. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. And so I moved I moved some of my clients to to um, to the hikes and then then, yeah, lots more wanted to do it. And, and then I kind of set up my little Instagram page and um and people were able to find me and then it just it just grew from there and it's uh yeah it's 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 been brilliant and then I got to meet people like Elaine and as Elaine mentioned the hiking community is just an unbelievably supportive uh space and so encouraging and there's so many brilliant people so um that that helps you kind of that helps people hear about you and, and, and you get to collaborate with people. And it's uh, it's been brilliant. Amazing. I love that. And next week we are going at yeah. sunrise. Um, <laughs> there is something quite special about sunrise, isn't there? Particularly in the winter, because yeah. we can get up a little bit later. Yeah. But there is something special about being awake and watching that sun come up. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a really brilliant way to kind of embrace the day especially if you get a good sunrise i mean that's not always guaranteed at this time of year in ireland but but if you do uh, even just the exposure to light um getting that light into the into the back of your eyes preferably without sunglasses if anyone's out in the mornings and trying to get light in try to do it without the glasses on because it's it's better for your um circadian rhythm um so yeah getting out getting early it just it sets you up for the day it fills you with with uh, all your positive endorphins and it um it just it puts you in a kind of a I want to say a meditative mindset but it, you do find you are much more mindful if you start the day that way you're much more present and that's that's good for all of us in this very 
easily distracted world that we live in. So uh, looking forward to it, hoping the sun comes out for anyone who's joining us. Oh, same, but, uh, same, same, because you just <laughs> never know around here. And I know you did yeah. a recce on our little WhatsApp group. <laughs> it like it was a bit Blair Witch Project in a hurricane. <laughs> so hopefully that's not what we have ahead. Oh, I cannot man. wait. We're going to do a bit of a letting go workshop up at the top. Yeah. I, I hope yeah. now, Elaine, there's going to be cake. I'm ready for the cake now. <laughs> Um, and if people want to find you, I mean, look, as I've said at the start, unfortunately, this one is oversubscribed, but we will do something again in the future. Yeah. If you want to join either of the ladies, you can go to hikesike.ie for Cara and Elaine is Shulin on Instagram. Thank you so much, ladies. Looking forward to next Saturday. Thank you, Claire. Thank you. Coming up after the break, Professor John Nolan on the clinical trial, which has seen a breakthrough in treating Alzheimer's. Alive and kicking. On News Talk. Alive and kicking. On News Talk. An innovative scientific study from the Nutrition Research Centre in Ireland has led to a brand new patented nutritional supplement for use in patients with mild to moderate Alzheimer's. The study was led by Professor John Nolan and Dr. Rebecca Power. And Professor John Nolan joins me in studio now. John, I thought I'd better give Rebecca her due. Oh, 100%. Rebecca <laughs> Rebecca is currently working in the US, actually. She's doing a Marie Curie, so a very successful postdoctoral grant. And um, she's continuing her work, actually, following her PhD work, which she did with. Um, we should also give due to Professor Rena Mulcahy, who was the medical doctor that we worked with on this uh, very important project. And what about the project then? How do you choose what the subject matter is going to be in a particular study? So in, in, in this case, it's actually the result of two decades of research, believe it or not. You know, my own PhD over 20 years ago now uh, focused on the use of targeted nutrition for an eye disease called age-related macular degeneration. And essentially what we were able to do was, you know, you hear a lot, oh, good nutrition, eat well, be healthy. And essentially our science has been able to look at good nutrition. And what are the micronutrients within good nutrition that are living within cells throughout the body to help the body be healthy. In our case, back then we were looking at eyesight and this disease, as I said, macular degeneration. So we were able to isolate from plants, basically, uh, nutrients called carotenoids. And carotenoids are really wonderful. They're, they're these beautiful coloured pigments that live all around us in nature and in food. So when you look at fruits and vegetables, for example, and you see all the beautiful colours, these are because of carotenoids. Now, what's really interesting is from the 700 possible carotenoids that are in nature, we accumulate about um, 20 of them in our biological systems. And in our eye, we identify that there's three of them. They're called lutane, zeaxanthin and mesozeaxanthin. So you won't remember that, but they're basically these plant-based carotenoids. And the reason why they're important for us is that they have what we call antioxidant properties. So they're like sunscreen inside the body. So being able to isolate those, concentrate those and deliver them to the target tissue in the first, inst- in the first instance, the eye. And we had great success with work with um, um, three carotenoids where we had macuprime, which we tested in, in, in that trial. And that's now, now used for age-related macular degeneration. But as part of, I was funded then by the European government, um, the European Research Council. And as part of our work, we identified that we could actually extend our work, not just from our work on eyesight, but go into the brain and brain health. And remarkably, there was a couple of experiments happening around the same time, over 10 years ago now. There was one big experiment here in Dublin led by um, Professor Roseanne Kenny from the TILDA programme. 
and a scientist called Joanne Feeney and they were looking at brain function. <clears throat> and around that time, we were looking at um, macular, these carotenoid pigments, these pigments which we've been measuring. And very interestingly, we found uh, in collaboration with the TILDA study that people in general society that have high amounts of carotenoids have really good cognitive brain function, so brain performance. And we published this work in a major journal. So we were really, really interested in this because we wanted to explore it further. So what we decided to do at that point was to engage with the University Hospital in Waterford and um, Rena Mulcahy, Professor Rena Mulcahy. And Rena works with patients with Alzheimer's disease because what we wanted to see was, did patients with Alzheimer's disease have enough of these nutrients? Now knowing not only are they related to cognitive function, but also individuals that have high amounts of these carotenoids in their eye, we, we discovered that they have high amounts in their brain. So we had a kind of an indicator of brain nutrition for the first time ever. So we spent many years actually trying to even develop the protocol to work safely with patients with Alzheimer's disease because obviously, you know, it's very difficult to do research in that population group, you know, for consents and everything that you have to deal with. And thankfully we were able to do that. And we had a whole um, series of studies that have been published which basically identified in the first instance that patients with Alzheimer's disease have a deficiency in these particular micronutrients. And remember, they're plant-based, so we don't have them inside us normally, we have to consume them. Um, So putting all of that together, essentially, we resulted with an idea that we could combine these micronutrients and we could hopefully enrich them in the patients, like patients with Alzheimer's disease, that were so deficient in them. And the research question in the REMIND trial, which I'm here to speak about today, was could we improve in any way the symptoms of the disease? You know, people with Alzheimer's disease, as you will know, they lose themselves. You know, it's, it's not just about the disease, it's about the, what Professor Mulcahy calls the story, the clinical story. Everything about the person that we, that we once knew changes. This is all fascinating for me because from personal experience, my dad died of dementia two years ago. So, Mm. you know, I I know exactly what you're talking about with personal experience. And you said they lose the essence of themselves. And I think a lot of that is down to them losing their memory, their short term memory, their long term memory. And that's what we use to make up what we know. What's happening in the brain with Alzheimer's? So as you put it, I mean, our, our knowledge is, and, and I learned from, I'm, I'm a scientist, so I'm not the medical doctor, so we work with the medical doctors, but what we learn is that they, they lose their short-term memories. So they lose their ability to create new memories. They lose their, and, you know, uh, Professor Mulcahy explains it like, the, like, so take an example like reading, for example. They can see the letters, but they just can't get it out there. Or they can see the face, and they just can't put put it together. So... What we believe is that there's a breakdown in, you know, if you look at the brain, there's a hundred billion neurons in there forming this network um, that, that is responsible for connecting all the ideas and the new memories and transferring them and locating them and then delivering them in, in all consciousness. And if our cells get sick, so if you think of Alzheimer's disease, for me, it's, it's, it's inflammation of the, of the brain. And that's why from a, from a scientific perspective, we believe that nutrition is important because we now know that w- with nutrition, we can stop inflammation. Yeah. And it's so interesting. I did a, a kind of a carer's course with the Alzheimer's Society yeah. of Ireland, which is given free. It was an incredible resource for me and my family. 
And one of the things they mentioned was that people with dementia or with Alzheimer's, they can forget how to eat. So you can put a plate of food in front of them and they will forget that you, you know, don't need to cut the mashed potato or you. And like that just blew my mind that the things, the very small things we take for granted with our cognitive function to get us through the day all starts to erode. And while we're on the topic of food, I talk Mm. about it all the time on this programme. And I feel like we've kind of lost our way with what healthy eating is. And that's why it's so fascinating with the way you're talking about it. Nutrition, eating well, plant-based, because they've all started to carry real weight. How come we, we, we've lost our way is, with that? This is a really interesting point. And, and to, to your point, they forget how to eat these patients and they also don't want to eat. That's another piece. They actually don't, they don't have the appetite that we may have, you know, to, to try and consume. So that, that is one point. And, and in, in our very first study, the first question was, well, are they deficient because they're not eating in the first place? Mm. Because remember, these are dietary of origin. But to, to, to your really important question, we've actually studied this. I'm based at the Southeast Technological University and some of our researchers there at the Nutrition Research Centre Ireland actually focus in on what we call nutritional devolution. So, you know, um, there's certain antioxidants that we need in our body that are naturally present, that they, the body produces them. And then there's all these other ones that we absolutely need to get from food if the cells are to be protected and to work. So that's a very basic concept. So then the question is, are we getting enough from the foods that we're consuming. So the healthiest person you'll interview today, I'll tell you they're not getting enough of these particular carotenoid nutrients. And there's a couple of reasons for that. And one is that if you look at basic farming, and I'm not critical of farming or farmers or, you know, some of the farming of of late is fantastic. But when you take a crop like a tomato, which might have 700 different varieties, we're using one or two of them. So what does that mean? That means that we're isolating a a plant that will grow in large amounts, large volume, and it's easy to grow and then you make it easy for it to grow. But the net result is that that plant is underproducing these valuable nutrients within the plant. Mm, Because we've industrialised it, so we're doing it en masse. Because we can't, you can't have one farmer that provides, you know, all the different tomatoes to the supermarket. They provide one or two and that's it and they have their deal and that's how they make their living. And you can understand that, but I suppose the off said yeah. of it is. I mean, I was only reading recently that a, a primate will eat up to 700 different plant species in a if, year. And we're, we're, not we're not getting that. We're getting up, we're having a bowl of cereal, we're having a sandwich at lunch and we're coming home and we're throwing something quick in the oven. There might be two veg on the plate. Yeah. That, that's not enough. No, it, it's not. And these particular nutrients called carotenoids only are produced in the plant to help the plant survive in difficult environments. So as soon as you make it easy for the plant to grow, it suppresses that. So like, I think there's data from the US Department of Agriculture now that shows that I think they use spinach as an example. But you, in, within 60 years, you would now have to have 53 bowls of spinach compared to 60 years ago to get the same nutritional value. So I'm not saying that nutrition is not important. That's the pillar of health. And, you know, as a, I'm a parent, I have two young girls and we, we all do our best to try and eat enough of these uh, foods. But the reality is for certain micronutrients like these carotenoids, these these valuable nutrients of the brain, um, we're just not getting enough. And that's what's unique about, this is new science. And I, I think one of the challenges is like, you know, when you when you say, okay, well, how do we do it then? I'm not saying don't eat well, be well, be healthy. That is the primary in any general health or even age-related chronic disease like Alzheimer's. We know that that's what we have to do better at. 
But what I'm also saying is we, we live in a time now where we're able to isolate the particular micronutrients that are in those plants and make them available. And the real important piece of this compared to kind of classic medicine, which is like pharmaceutical, very expensive drugs and so on, with nutrition, it can be very much affordable. It's something that we can, we can do. It doesn't have to be something that's out of reach. It's something that's within reach. And that's what, you know, we, we run a conference in Cambridge, um, the Bond Conference, the Brain and Auckland Nutrition Conference. And we had a keynote speaker recently um, from the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease, Dr. George Perry, who's one of the most published scientists in the area of Alzheimer's disease. And when Professor Mulcahy presented our work, he basically said, what's, what's amazing about this is that we've identified something that is effective in real time. Um, and it, it's something that we can make available to society, to the masses as a whole. It's something that we should do. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, and I don't want to like present this as it's a cure for Alzheimer's or anything of the sort. It's not. The, the idea, the biologically plausible rationale and the evidence that we have, which is now accumulating, not just from Waterford, Ireland, but from all over the world, is that we can support the management of the disease and the symptoms of the disease. You know, the, the, what you would have experienced with your dad, you know, maybe, maybe let me ask you, like, a mood, did mood change, for example? Yeah, yeah. I mean, all that all loss we spoke about yeah. comes with frustration. And frustration. It's a downward spiral. Yeah. And if you could slow that process in any way for them and the people around them, you, you, you certainly would. Can it be taken as a preventative measure? Well, measure? Should you and I with full cognitive ability, be taking this supplement to stave off Alzheimer's or is that a different No, it's look? exactly the point. So if you look at the trial that we did, it was in patients with, with um, early to moderate. So it was kind of that earlier stage of the disease anyway. That's where we, that's where we went to. And then we looked at all different stages of the disease, but that's in the major remind trial. That's where we went to. But the whole concept of the work we've done is about your point. That's early prevention Okay, and the reason being is our cells are vulnerable from the second that we're born. So when a retina is developing, that's the back of the eye, or when a brain is developing, it's dealing with this process known as oxidative stress, the cost of doing business with life, if, if you like. And what's really fascinating is I'm often asked when I give these lectures, well, how early should we start doing this? And what I say is that, well, nature begins at the very beginning from, from the cradle. So as soon as a mother is breastfeeding... When you look at the colour of the breast milk, the colostrum, the yellow, are these exact nutrients I'm speaking about, these vat-soluble carotenoids. So they're, they're, they're va- they're, we don't have these, and I don't believe that the, the, you know, these type of supplements are just for the end stage, are just for people with age-related macular degeneration or Alzheimer's disease. I actually believe in this new world where we all live so much longer than we're supposed to and we're also exposed to new environmental stresses like changes in nutrition, but also different lifestyles with exposures to light that we never had before. There has to be a counterbalance to that and that's where quality, tested and safe, effective supplementation has a clear role to play. Yeah, so that's one of my questions was why is this not a... a a medical, like a tablet. Why is this not a a treatment? It's a nutritional supplement because they're two very different things. Absolutely. This is not a treatment per se. Um, It it lives within the world, as you say, of food supplements. And one of the challenges within food supplements and something I'm committed to 
is the whole quality piece around that. So I think, you know, we've often heard of food supplements referred to as snake oil, you know. And yeah, and that you pee most of them uh, down the and toilet some and you're the, wasting your money and yeah, and, and you do have to be careful. And some of them you absolutely do, okay? But um, the, the reality is what, what there has to be a change in kind of legislation actually. And I'm actually working, I've, I'm communicating and talking to the Department of Health and Food and Food Supplements in terms of making this available for patients at risk of or with early stages of Alzheimer's disease. But the way we have to do that is to understand there has to be an evidence base because doctors and patients and everyone should be informed by scientific evidence base. And then there has to be a quality piece. And that has to, what I want the government to do is to look at the evidence. We've spent 8 million euros in Waterford on this type of research from competitive research grants. And we publish, we've 110 plus scientific papers and 20, 30 people have committed their full life careers to this and we deliver this information. The, the next challenge is the dissemination, the use of that. And thankfully, you know, it has been made available, you know, uh, via the Remind supplement, which was used in the trial. So now doctors are recommending the Remind supplement for patients with this and that's a good thing. But I actually think we need to go a step further. I believe that, you know, we look at the cost of Alzheimer's disease. I think it's like for Ireland, it's two billion per year is what it costs. And there's no work being done in terms of that early intervention, that nutritional support. You know, we've known for a long time, Claire, that the Mediterranean diet, you know, reduces the risk of um, dementias, including Alzheimer's disease. So it's tapping into that knowledge and, and now looking at the specific science. So we have to change policy. We have to, and I'm not critical of medicine, by the way, you know, but these drugs are being used as a standard of care to kind of get rid of the proteins, these uh, plaques and tangles that are produced at the end game. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but we do know that they're not very effective, right? And so why don't we change the conversation and get into preventative please. and yeah. doing that in different ways, yeah. including yeah. nutritional food supplements? John, I could literally talk yeah. to you all day because this is my jam within mm. health and wellness. You'll have to come back and talk I, to I us I will. Again. Can I say one thing? I don't want to like... I think this is great news for, for, for carers and I think this is as important because you're a carer. I'm speaking to a carer when I look at you and you suffered. That's the, that's the point with Alzheimer's. It's not just the patient, it's the total family. So this is great news. I don't want to over-sensationalise it by saying, look, there's a cure or because sometimes with Alzheimer's people do that. But we should be very proud of this and we should be very confident that there's something that is very effective and something that, Uh, people can look to now to get some kind of support with this. Yeah, you and your team should be very proud of the work that you did and I'd say it was a fantastic day when you had the breakthrough and patented the product and now it's being recommended by doctors. It is called Remind. Professor John Nolan from the Nutrition Research Centre of Ireland, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much. Lovely speaking to you. Alive and Kicking on Newstalk. Alive and Kicking on Newstalk. Several years ago, Nicola Connolly was feeling the sense of balance, the simple connection to nature and the joy in her life were giving way to the increasing pressures and demands of a busy world. Believing that there had to be a better way to get meaning in her life, she gave up the familiar and set out on a journey of exploration, which has led her on quite the adventure and here in studio. Hello, Nicola. How are you? Hi, Claire. How are you? Thanks for having me in. So what was going on at that time in life where you started to think, oh, there's got to be something better than this? 
So I was working corporate life. I was based in London and I was working for Ryanair in their marketing department and I was flying all over Europe. So I would be taking six or eight flights a week and going into different regions where they had bases and flights and, and sort of setting up new routes for them. And it was, you know, very exciting, very fast paced, amazing experience. But deep within, there was this sort of feeling that this wasn't right for me. Um, so I kind of decided that I, I would leave um, without really knowing what the next step was. But I just had this calling inside for, I suppose, something that held a bit more meaning for me. So quit the job and decided to to head off on my own on a solo around the world journey for six months. And where did you first go? So I love, I have a thing for islands. So the trip was planned around islands around the world. So it was to visit all my, you know, my favourite places. So I went to, you know, French Polynesia, Tahiti and the islands there, um, Easter Island to New Zealand. Um, and then my last place was the Galapagos Islands, which are off the coast of Ecuador. Wow. And they are like a big scientific place of discovery, aren't they? There's something quite special about the Galapagos. Yeah. So they're a, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site and they're a thousand kilometres off the coast and they have this incredible flora and fauna that doesn't exist anywhere else. So it's where Darwin developed his uh, theory of evolution. Um, and there's all these incredible species of, you know, marine iguanas and sea lions and they live with the humans that are that are living there. So the boat, I arrived, I got off the plane and then there was, I took a three hour boat and the boat pulled into this lovely port and I just had one of those moments of I can't leave. Now, I was due to come back the week later and start my master's, um, but just had this kind of feeling of no, I need to stay. So I rang my mum and said, look, I'm not going to come back. And I ended up staying out on the Galapagos Islands for four and a half years. Um, And that's kind of how the journey started. (laughs) Wow. And it was actually Peru, though, that really was a a big change in your life. What what happened there? Well, it was so it was a sort of a mix. So I spent seven years in Ecuador and I was working with indigenous communities. So I was working with local communities and tribes in the Amazon rainforest and on the Galapagos Islands. And I was, I suppose, looking at helping them to develop sustainable business models. So businesses, I'm hugely passionate about sustainability, but also really passionate about the community development side. So working with communities to help them have you know, better standard of life, being able to educate their kids and get access to, to healthcare. So I was working with um, these different communities and started to learn all about their plants because these are unique ecosystems. So in the Amazon, for example, you know, it's, they have, hundreds of thousands of species that we've never even even heard of. So started to kind of explore and, and learn a little bit about um, plants. So it was actually in Ecuador where I first sort of started to develop the interest in in the medicinal use of, of plants and how they were using plants to nourish both their skin, to look after their skin, but also to nourish their mental and psychological well-being. And so I started to, to kind of explore plants a little bit more and then moved to Peru and then I started to apprentice with um, healers and shamans there for seven years um, because this was, you know, combined with sustainability. It was this love of plants um, that kind of I reconnected with, I think, and that I spent the next seven years exploring because I just think plants have such power to deeply ground us and to heal us, you know. This is so incredible. Like, I wish I could spend an hour with you because we're having to skim over yeah. such fascinating stuff. But 
they do say that nature has everything that we need. And even with pharma, which we kind of think is away from nature, a lot of it starts with plants, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, 35% of all our pharmaceuticals today come from plants from the Amazon rainforest. So they're then synthetically, you know, duplicated in labs, but they they come from, from nature. So there's this vast natural pharmacy out there. And that's kind of what I learned that, you know, these communities, when they get sick, they can't go into Boots or, you know, down to their Mars pharmacy. They have to, you know, go out and they work with their healers or medicine people who might harvest a little bit of bark or take some leaves and kind of create a concoction that works as effectively as, you know, going into the pharmacy for less severe ailments, obviously. <laughs> and you said, you know, you were really motivated by sustainability. Mm. Is that still at the forefront there or were you seeing these communities and their produce being ravished? Yeah, so exactly. So I think, I suppose how I, you know, really became a sustainability advocate was because I could see the damage that was happening to the Amazon rainforest. And as an ecosystem, it's so important, even though it seems very far away, it's vitally important to us here in terms of, you know, it's a huge carbon sink. It, you know, transforms a lot of the carbon dioxide into oxygen. It's a really important ecosystem. And I was seeing firsthand how um, the oil companies and the logging companies were coming in and just devastating, you know, thousands and thousands of acres of forestry. And so the for me, the what was really exciting was to work with the communities to come up with an alternative. So, for example, one of my projects was to work with the community to harvest cacao, which is where chocolate comes from. Um, and then help them to export it into the States, into the US market. And I suppose what was really great about the pro- that project was, or these types of projects, is it allows them to stay on their land. Um, they're incredible caretakers of the earth and of our, you know, of Pachamama or Mother Earth. So they really look after these ecosystems that we all depend on. And it also means they can have a better quality of life. So they don't end up having to head into the city and end up living in, in poverty, but actually improves the quality of life and it preserves their identity. And cacao has become huge in the wellness world, hasn't it? And I yeah. do often look at the block that's always in my house now and think, where is this coming from? You know, is it being ethically taken? Because the more popular something becomes and the more demand goes up, that's when you worry. That's it, exactly, yeah. So I think it's, and I mean, there are amazing community projects where they have such you know, for example, all the growers we work with, they put so much love into how they produce, how they harvest, um, you know, and it's very ethical and sustainable. So they're really nurturing the land and themselves as a community. And I think, you know, one way we can, I suppose, make sure we're doing that is by choosing what kind of brands we're buying from, you know, um, to make sure, because you're right, you know, when things get popular, then it becomes a problem. (laughs) Yeah, it certainly does. And this was the very life that you had been looking for. I mean, the fact that you were saying this connection to nature, I mean, you were right in the middle of it. And you also, aside from that, saw the power in ritual and and, and self-care. So even with the cacao, it's the ceremony of preparing it, of making it, of drinking it. The same with a lot of the the plant-based medicine. So talk to us a little bit about what you learned there. Yeah, so I think this was, you know, initially it was the sustainability side of things that I was excited and passionate about. And then when once I started to work with different um, healers and medicine people, I, I suppose I, my whole life shifted as, you know, as it does. You start to, you know, yourself, Claire, on your own journey, you just delve deeper and deeper and you start to discover a whole new world, which was very different from coming out of Dublin. 
um, and a totally new way of life. But it just opened my mind and just allowed me to kind of really understand how important it is to kind of nourish ourselves. And I suppose I was very much in a mental space, like I think a lot of us are. It's, you know, very we're very driven. It's very action-based lifestyles that we have. And it just allowed me, by learning about ritual, just allowing me to come back into myself and just to reconnect with what it is I want to do in my life um, and the type of life I want to live. And so rituals for me help me create those little moments of connection in my day where I can remain grounded and sort of true to myself. Um, and I have many that I intersperse in my day now that, you know, that were shared with me from these amazing um, communities that I suppose just help you find that greater sense of calm. And could you give us an example of one? Because I think people, when they hear the word ritual mm. or spirituality, they instantly go to organised religion. religion. And yeah. there are elements of that, yeah. that taking time, the candle, the music, yeah. community. So there are similarities. But I think sometimes people throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah. and say, organised religion isn't for me and yeah. then miss some of the other elements. So yeah. what would be an example of a ritual? Yeah, so for me, ritual is not about religion at all. It's it's just about, you know, creating, I suppose, they're like little moments of transition. So if you take the example of reading a bedtime story to your, your child, that's a ritual. You know, you're transitioning from the busyness of the day. It's the two of you. You're in a little cocoon. You're winding down. You're you're connecting and you're transitioning into that kind of night phase. So for me, ritual is about creating any type of activity or moment. Uh, for example, like having a herbal tea in the middle of a really busy workday. And you can stop, make your herbal tea mindfully and then drink it mindfully. It could take 10, 15 minutes. But it just allows you to kind of come back into balance. You know, if you were having a manic moment, you know, manic morning, stopping, pausing, taking the time and then you can start of restart again and but you've transitioned into a different energy, a different vibration. So that's, you know, one of my favorite ones that we can do anytime in the day, you know. And then the other one which I probably had the biggest impact and is really where Nunaya came from was one of the healers that I worked with originally um gave me a task for a month which was it sounds so simple Claire to go home and to apply mindfully a body product to my skin. And just really take the time to kind of massage it in and to just to tune it back in with my body because I was very disconnected from my physical body. Um, and that, I suppose, was really where the idea for Nunaya came from because I could just see the massive difference it made in terms of coming back into how I was doing physically. You know, so when you're applying your cream at night, can you actually touch your face, massage it in? How are you doing? Because we're so busy during the day that we often don't connect back into that physical space. Um, and then working out any tension, any stress. And the, the results are incredible. You just feel so different. Um, and that's a ritual that we can all do every day that you can use with what's in your in your bathroom right now, you know. You've said the word uh, Nunaya a couple of times. Yeah. That is your, your product range. So at yeah. one point, living immersed in all of this world, you yeah. decided it's going to be time for me for to come home and, and, and you decided to turn it into a business. What was that decision yeah, like? Yeah, so I had started to, I was, so I was living up in the Andes and it's extremely dry. It's, you know, I was up at about 3,000 metres altitude and my skin was really suffering. So it was extremely dry, very tight, red, sore, painful, and I couldn't find any any products. So I started to make make my own products. And I, at the time I was living in a place called the Sacred Valley of the Incas. So it's it's the pathway to Machu Picchu which I'm sure many people have heard of. Um, and so there was a lot of tourists coming through. So I was starting to sell in the local market. So I'd take out my stand on a Sunday and I'd go down and sell my my products. And it was it was really, you know, ba- beautiful products, but very, you know, basic. It was just once a week. 
Um, and it started to take off. So people would start ordering and I've started to ship things around the around the world. Um, and so I could see there was a big, there was a demand for it and a market kind of for it. So I um, actually ended up applying on one of my trips home. I applied for, to Enterprise Ireland uh, for their female founders funding, which I was successful with. And that was really one of the kind of key factors in coming back was to try and share some of the, all of this wisdom that I had had, I suppose, the blessing to receive and to create something because not everyone can go off for 12 years and, you know, live in the Amazon or, you know, delve into this world. So it was how could I bring that back? Because I'd come home and share it with my sisters and my friends and see, you know, the value and the benefit of these beautiful products that have great skin benefits, but they also have that energetic benefit. So we're using amazing plants that help. We've one plant, for example, that helps they use to heal anxiety. So it's very calming for, for when you're sleeping or if you're feeling any stress. So how could I share that? And it just felt like coming back to Europe, we, you know, was a better place to, to launch Nunaya in its current form. And all of your products encourage that ritual, that taking time. So you've merged the two things we've spent the time talking about. What does Nunaya mean? So Nunaya means soul tribe uh, in the Quechua language, which is the language up in the Andes Mountains where I lived. And it means it's the idea of we're all connected. So we're all one big soul tribe. So we look at Nunaya as a circle. Um, so it's from soil to skin to soul. So from the earth where our plants are grown, they're just beautiful beautiful high vibrational plant essences, the way they're harvested, the way we look after our communities, then to the way our customers, um, you know, use the products and feel all of those benefits to the way the products then go back to the earth with our, you know, we use mycelium biodegradable packaging, which we grow from mushrooms. And it's just a circle where we're all connected and we want to kind of make sure we're looking after, you know, our communities and the planet as well as our beautiful tribe. Oh, that is just so gorgeous and people can hear the love that goes into the product. Top. I have just loved this conversation. I love the idea of a, of a soul tribe. The product is called Nunaya. You can find it N-U-N-A-I-A dot com, Nunaya dot com. Nicola Connolly, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks so much, Claire. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer Aidan McKelvey and Hugo De Silva-Scott who was on sound and thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna Sunday morning at 8 with Benelin on News Talk.